Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. I'm your host, Mike Davis, and each week I bring you conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Leaders creating social impact through their work and inspiring positive social change across a wide variety of sectors. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy the next 40 minutes guaranteed to inspire you with our signature blend of wisdom, experience, and banter. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. Sea cares about food and friendship. So not only are, you know, the stats are about 36% of Australians face food insecurity, but also social isolation is a real issue, especially since COVID. So a lot of our focus is about not only going to provide people with fresh, healthy food, but also giving them a, a visit, a friendly face to go and say hello. And, you know, we have about 180 active volunteers every week who will come and collect food from us and go and deliver it to our recipients. And we feel that's a really important piece of what we do is helping people so they don't feel so lonely. Welcome back to another action-packed episode of Humans of Purpose. First off, a big thanks to our major sponsor, Neon Treehouse, for all their wonderful social media support. Neon Treehouse are your go-to full-service digital marketing agency for bright and imaginative solutions. Learn more at neontreehouse.com. I'm thrilled to also announce that Arepa have just joined us as our new drink sponsor for 2024. I've been pretty obsessed with Arepa since about 2020 as a healthy brain drink that optimizes cognitive performance but also just tastes great. I particularly like the Arepa origin story, their deep cultural roots to Aotearoa, New Zealand, and that it was designed and tested by neuroscientists. Quite simply, their drinks are refreshing, awesome, healthy, and make our brains work better with the science continuing in the background on how to further support optimal brain function. I'll be sharing more about Arepa throughout the year, but for now, try Arepa for yourself and get an exclusive 25% discount using our Humans of Purpose code by heading to drinkarepa.com.au and entering promo code HOP25, that's capital H-O-P-25, on checkout. Link also in the show notes. This week on the podcast, I'm thrilled to bring you my conversation with the team at Seacare. Seacare is a leading frontline community organization supporting individuals and families experiencing food insecurity and social isolation. Seacare are all about connecting the community through food and friendship. Today, I'm speaking with CEO Rabbi Shlomo Nathanson and philanthropy manager Stacey Dodge. It's a good time to share this episode with you as we lead up to our month partnering with the Asylum Seeker Resource Center where the focus will be on how the gift of sharing our food and cultural heritage builds friendship, community, and improves lives. This is a great episode where we explore the extreme challenges of food insecurity and huge demand for food relief in Australia, particularly against the backdrop of emerging from COVID-19 and our cost of living crisis. We also touch on CCARE's unique personalised service and how they've been able to create a great culture of friendship, inclusivity, and cultural sensitivity as part of their operations. I was fortunate enough to go into Seacare, and you'll hear my story about experiencing a mate's birthday there that really put me onto the team and invite them on the episode as a result of that. So uh, I love Seacare, I really enjoyed my experience there, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Shlomo and Stacey as much as I did. Welcome Shlomo and Stacey to the podcast, great to be with you today. Great to be with you, Mike. Thank you. Yeah, very excited. Been really excited to do this. First rabbi on the podcast, by the way, so congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) We're setting a trend? Yeah, I think we're setting a trend. We we could very well be doing so. 
I I had a great experience recently at Seacare. That's why I've invited you you both on. I had never heard of Seacare before, and then one of my good mates invited me for his birthday, which he does each year to be part of a charitable service sort of events as a group, which is actually really good. I mean, you couldn't pay me to cook, generally speaking, but for a mate's birthday, I will do that, and for charity in particular. I heard you did all right on the day, though. Oh, that's look, that's very charitable. And I appreciate that. They put me on the dud end of the station, uh, the Bereka station, but <laughs> anyway. And then we went for dinner for pizza afterwards, but it was a, a lovely evening, and I just thought, what you've created at Seacare felt very special. So I want to open just by asking you a little bit about Seacare. How does it come about? What is it? Why does it exist? And just give the floor to you for a little bit to give me a bit of background into how it all came about. Sure. I'll jump on and then you'll fill in the gaps. This is your baby, Shlomo. <laughs> Seacare is your baby. So f- food charities are, are not new and they've been around for a very long time and, and there are many of them. And, you know, so n- no particular shortage in, in that space. Yet when it came to people that we encountered, and I suppose that's my role as, as a rabbi and sort of just doing pastoral care and, and visiting with people, there were, there were gaps in what seemed to be how people were able to engage with community beyond their core basic Maslow hierarchy of needs being met. And w- whilst food insecurity was a component of what was still missing, and whilst there are lots and lots of food charities a struggle that we all in this industry have is being able to get the right services to the right people. And more than half the people that need food security interventions and solutions aren't receiving them for a whole heap of reasons that we could talk about. Of of the only quarter that are receiving them from food charities, it, it felt that there was so much more that can be given, particularly by leveraging the goodwill with community in developing a service like that. So you know, we like to say that we're not the Uber Eats for charity. It's not just about getting the food from A to B and for, you know, ticking a box and ensuring that everyone's got enough to eat. But it's a lot to do with how that's being given, the method in which it's being given, uh, how it's presented, how it looks, but perhaps most importantly, how people are made to feel in that experience, A, reaching out to seek help, but, you know, perhaps more importantly, as they're going through that journey together with us, like we call it, you know, what What do those interactions look like? Who is it that they're meeting with? And what do those sort of conversations look like? And, you know, what I found in a pastoral care role was that, you know, doing those visits ad hoc over periods of time and, you know, in the Jewish community, we celebrate, you know, the weekend being the Shabbat and, you know, there's cultural foods that go together with that. And I'd go with my kids and we'd go and visit with people that were, you know, migrants that came to Australia at a late age or people that just, you know, weren't well integrated into the community and, you know, spend some time and, you know, just have a bit of a chat and bring them something nice for the weekend. And, you know, I tell the story where it was a Friday afternoon and we were going and doing one of these visits and, you know, we'd sat down on the couch and had this lovely chat and this woman, you know, walks us to the door at the end of the visit and she's standing there as we were sort of walking out and she looks at us and says, you know, Rabbi, thank you for not forgetting about us. And it had a profound impact on me because when I reflected on it, I thought, well, that was a half an hour of time. You know, I was with my kids. We were having a good time. And, you know, we we had a nice little food parcel of some sort. That isn't a price that's too high to pay Mm -hmm. for someone to feel not forgotten about and cared for and looked after. The challenge was, well, you know, how do we scale that? How do we see to it that people that might be experiencing that or feeling that or benefit from that sort of warm, supportive environment and, and, and interaction, 
how, how do you do that on scale? And, you know, that's where we sort of put the thinking caps on and thought, you know, how we might go to, you know, templatize that. Is the term well, we, we say CCARE is about food and friendship. Mm-hmm. So not only are, you know, the stats are about 36% of Australians face food insecurity, but also social isolation is a real issue, especially since COVID. So a lot of our focus is about not only going to provide people with fresh, healthy food, but also giving them a, a visit, a friendly face to go and say hello. And, you know, we have about 180 active volunteers every week who will come and collect food from us and go and deliver it to our recipients. And we feel that's a really important piece of what we do is helping people so they don't feel so oh, lonely. Critical. I mean, I find that very interesting. So, I mean, what you said earlier, not the Uber sort of service for just dropping food and running, but the acknowledgement that the social connection and that making people feel seen, heard and valued in an interaction as a core part of that, I think that's a special source. Mm. wonder how you reflect on that because, you know, food is one thing. A lot of people need food, but the social isolation aspect must come so much hand in hand with that a lot of the time. Is that what you're seeing? Especially since COVID. Sorry to interrupt, but yes, especially since COVID. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and like you're saying, how, how do you develop a culture in which interaction after interaction, and these aren't paid staff, these are just lovely people from the community, but I think that's the key, right? The key is yeah. that there's so much goodwill out there and people have such kindness within. And, it, and you know, the onus then falls on, on, on the charities and the organizations of the world to say, hey, how do we leverage that good power that's out there? How do we channel that good energy and place it in the places where it's so much needed? You know, we say to the volunteers all the time, you know, money can't buy what you're, what you're offering, right? We can't staff this place with enough, you know, caregivers to be able to offer what it is that you're able to do. So that's, that's something that you come with and you come with it in spades. And, you know, we try with the skeleton staff just to be that middle man or in the Yiddish terms, the matchmaker, right? <laughs> we just sort of sit in between and say, well, there is supply, there's demand. Yep. How do we chop and change this? You're like intermediary or a two-sided platform. Exactly right. And also, I think one of the beauties of our organization, which you experienced, Mike, is that, you know, it's not only we helping our recipients, but it's also, it's such a communal organization. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. a lot of people who come and volunteer, they love it because it's a big part of their connection with other people as well. So, yep. you know, a lot of them may be retired and, you know, it gives them purpose, it gives them belonging, it gives them a sense of community. So I always say the organisation is win-win because mm, yes. a recipient's benefit and members of the community benefit because they come and they, you know, I know grassroots is a very trendy term with charities, but this is pretty grassroots. No, this is, this is like relatively speaking, very grassroots. Yeah. I don't think you're using it out of place there, but, but I think one thing that you've nailed there, which I think is really important, is the the power of that authentic time wanting to spend connecting with others in the community. Mm. So you can't buy that, nor would we, you want to pay for that, mm. really. Mm. But knowing that's, that it's authentic and comes from a place where you've chosen to do that is mm. very special mm. and perhaps very Jewish in character. Mm. That idea of spending time in, in service of others and a bit of tikkun olam in there as well mm. and just that sort of that idea that someone would choose to give that half an hour, but in a sort of enlightened self-interest sort of way, you know, what you get from doing that must be pretty immense because you've got such a vibrant, active volunteer base. And I assume you didn't have to sell them very hard on becoming part of your community. Mm. So two really interesting streams there, but (laughs) building on what Stacey mentioned, you know, and I think 
volunteers have shared this with me over, over the years, and, and something that I noticed just is that, the, particularly for volunteers that come on a semi-frequent basis, and we kind of structured, you know, the the volunteer model where many charities, you know, will choose in order to have consistency and assurance of your HR and your manpower, you know, that there's a minimum volunteer requirement. You've got to come for six months, once a week, once a fortnight. You know, we thought, let's take a stab at this and see if we could go really broad and say, you know, just come when you can. And if we could make this broad enough, we'll be able to fill those 180 shifts that we need each week. And it's, and it's more or less worked really well for us. That's uh, amazing. So you, did, you don't have like mandated. There's no, no mandate. We love yeah. when people when, tell when us. When Stacey said that, that we, I thought like, yeah, my mum's going to love this. Yeah. It's very <laughs> and, and on that, we've got, you know, there's a group of ladies that come four days a week. They, and it's actually cute. It's, it's one of, it's such a beautiful story. They were neighbors and they didn't even know each other until they started volunteering at Seacare. And now they come together four days a week. They spend hours, you know, on those days cooking and preparing food. Mm. So they've developed this beautiful friendship as a result of it. So, and I think that's what they like. And if you want to, you know, when you're that age, if you want to travel and you've got grandchildren commitment, you know, it gives them that flexibility, which I think people want in this volunteer space. That that for me is critical. How many, like, how often do you do those things that you did for my mate the other day, like where a group comes in together before something? And was that like a special thing that you did or others request that? We, we kind of put that into the bucket of special groups, yep. and I guess the more common form of that is with our corporates, yep. and you know we aim to have a couple of them each week. How that, are you going with the corporates? So a few coming in? That could always use some more. So yeah, shameless fantastic. plug. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Get in touch with it's us, a good funding out. source for us yeah. to be shameless about it. Yeah. To use your word, but oh. <laughs> yes, that's a good way for us to make money. And you know, so the corporates the birthday come in. groups pay as well. So yeah. I assume so. I mean, that's perfectly reasonable because it's an experience, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so. Oh, there's heaps of opportunity and we, you know, aim to, that was an interesting balance for us to strike because a lot of the charities that are doing those specialty groups aren't B2C as we call it. Yep. And they kind of are very broad in terms of what could be made and how often they could be made and they could sort of just have the groups as they come and the output will emanate from whoever's coming on the day. We're committed. We're knee deep committed to two thousand clients that we're servicing each week yep. with a very specific and we'll love to talk yeah. about this type of service. <clears throat> and to that end, you know, there might be a busy birthday week yep. and everybody a really quiet one. But you know, as our chairman says, we're a business that has to be one hundred percent on time in full. And there's no ninety nine percent in this industry. Yeah, if somebody's waiting for their dinner that night and we've told them that we're going to bring it to them. Somebody, you know, the volunteer could have COVID or there could be war breaking out. Mm. That person needs to get dinner and yep. there's no two ways about it. Yep. So, you know, that's, I guess, a challenge that we found ourselves in where we wanted to be both, you know, reliant for, from a recipient perspective that they can know that if we've told them we're going to bring them services, that they're absolutely going to be getting those services. But at the same time, you know, a, a, tapping into the more ad hoc, you know, pump in and, uh, and, and, you know, the corporate sides and, you know, the team has done an incredible job in terms of, you know, leveling that schedule so that, you know, we've got enough shifts happening on a regular basis to ensure that we meet that minimum quantity. And then we've got, you know, the additional shifts, you know, dotted right throughout the week at strategic points to engage the broader community because we really feel that that's a big part of the mission, you know, from from all the spaces. And we say this to volunteers all the time, you know, you might go and, you know, if it's, if it's cancer research or there, there's so many areas that we all want to deeply contribute to, you know, but I'm not a doctor. 
and I'm not a scientist, yeah. and there's some things that I'm just unqualified to be I'd able to contribute to. I'd love to do some voluntary to. heart surgery, but my yeah. wife keeps telling me it, it, it's probably not a great idea for anyone. I'm not sure I want to be the patient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Surgery. You know, but, you know, it, and it's not just the making of the food, but it's, you know, sharing that that care and that passion from within is something that we're all uniquely qualified to give. And if we're able to, you know, create more of a platform for that, and that's why we really aim to say, well, how do we get more of those birthdays going? And how do we get more of those corporates in? Because more than just the output of what they're doing, this is a great way to facilitate some important conversations that as a society, if you want to see that needle moving in terms of, you know, the amount of people feeling comfortable to reach out and get help and get the type of help that they need. And if, and if what, whatever better looks like for them and not sort of saying that, that for everyone, it means that they're, you know, going to no longer require support for many people, they'll be in that uh, category of requiring support for a, a fair period of time. But if we want to see that needle change, then society as a whole can't just see that as headlines in you know, news flashes and read that in the newspapers. They need to have some skin in the game. And this is a great opportunity for them to have that. Yeah, no, I agree. Sorry, go ahead, Stacey. I was going to say, and unfortunately, we're seeing just it's growing and growing the need for the services. Yes. So, you know, our stats show we had about 250 clients or recipients, I should say, uh, pre-COVID. And now we're at about 2,000. Wow. So cost of living... You know, rent so It's reflective of the societal trends. Yeah. I was going to ask you that. So, so do you think that the Jewish community has more of a need or less of a need than the, the general population for your services? How does it correlate? It's it's a question that we're you know commonly asked, and the, the surprising but not so surprising response to it is that, like every other you know community out there, every social challenge that society as a whole will face. No community is really immune to that, and in the, you know, in the social spaces, the mental health spaces, and you know, in, in the uh, financial space, all of that, you know, th- there's no immunity. There's no, you know, belonging to a particular group that says that, you know, you, you'll be okay here. We we often paint people with a very broad brush and say, oh, you belong to that mob, and you yeah. know, you're right. You know, every social norm, and this is what the stats show, and they've done these in in depth, you know, pieces of research and surveys particularly within the Jewish community and many other ethnic communities, and the findings are, surprise, surprise, just alongside that of the general Australian community, will have those same social challenges. Yeah, I'm surprised. I, mean, I must say, uh, like, I'm not because I've been to Sea Care, but like before I'd been to Sea Care and seen sort of the scale and size of the mission, I would have thought Jewish community, fairly affluent overall, you know, well-to-do professionals, more or less. But I suppose when you're part of that, you don't see the other part of that unless you choose to. Mm. Um, I think you have to scratch the surface and you see pretty quickly. I was involved in one of the Jewish day schools for many years and, you know, on average the schools, about 25% of kids who go to Jewish schools receive financial aid. So I think the perception out there is that we're an affluent community, but I think, yes, as Shoma said, it's very reflective of the general community. And I suppose one barrier we have in our community is People who are religious, in Jewish religious, they keep kosher. So they can't go to any food charity to get the food they need. Yep. So, you know, when Food Bank just did a big survey recently and they said, you know, it's people's inability to access culturally appropriate food. Oh, so they've actually noted that in the report. Mm. Yeah, so that's there's a interesting. big barrier to getting help. And that's where Sea Care fits into it because. Um, all the meals we provide are fully kosher. So whether it's a hot meal you're getting or the produce we provide, they're all certified kosher. So any, so that's not a barrier for people to access yeah. help. And I think we all saw that in the news in the lockdowns with the towers when 
in the commission flats where they had sent, you know, just an endless amount of food, but, you know, not realizing that, or perhaps not realizing at the time that, you know, within those flats, you have many different ethnic communities with a lot of different religiously informed diets. And, you know, a meal for one isn't necessarily the same for the other. No, that's that's a great point, Shlomo. I I think maybe sometimes people go a bit Maslowian to sort of quote you earlier and say, oh, look, who are people to sort of say what type of food they want if they're in crisis? Just take whatever we give you. But of course, it's more complicated than that. Mm. You know, oh, yeah. it's, <laughs> it struck a chord with us. And that's, you know, when you talked about, you know, the, I guess, the influences that we've had from the Jewish culture around, well, you know, what does charity look like and how should it look? That's, that's a, a big one. And, you know, the, the saying does go, you get what you get and, you know, get upset. But we are diametrically opposed yep. to, to that view yep. um, for, for a number of reasons. One is, you know, I think from a very basic level, why should somebody that's going through a tough time be any less less off? We're, you know, as human beings, we're particularly picky when it comes to eating. I've got a couple of kids, and I can tell you that, you know, kids are pretty picky yeah. when it comes to what it is that they eat. And we don't sit and judge them and say, well, you're going to eat that or you're going to get upset. Yeah. You know, well, perhaps I'm not the best in the parenting space to comment on the best way to oh, navigate well, can, around those I, I conversations. Can, I can comment. I mean, you know, like we the main thing is just that they they get what they need, but also if they don't like something, you don't force feed kids. Mm. So mm. you know, there's that discernment, and yeah. it's also I think just respecting people's rights to autonomy and preferences yeah. in, in accordance with their views and beliefs. I think that's very reasonable. Yeah, and and that's you know a massive part of what we look to achieve in. In our short term, you know, we've got our short term, medium term, long term goals as an organization. But in that short term, help seeking and reaching out and and getting help isn't something that's you know on the rise. It's an uncomfortable thing to do. Yes, and sadly, you know, and and this isn't a reflection of the people that are in this industry, mm-hmm. but it, it's it's a big puzzle. I mean, there's so many things that have to come into place in order to achieve you know positive results in the space, and it's very difficult, you know, for the large organizations, you know, for the center leaks of the world to make that process warm and fuzzy and well, supportive. Centrelink's not going to come to your house and have a heartfelt conversation with exactly. you for half an hour. It's impossible to even get them on the phone, apparently. So, you know, that's a real, I suppose, point of difference for how you're approaching things. Mm. And if we can achieve in the short term that people feel that they can ask for help and they could say, and you know what, I don't like to eat zucchini, but I, you know, I need dinner tonight, that we you know, that we hear that and we're receptive to that and we've got a process by which we actually get them what it is that they need. Think about what that does to this help seeker in their journey where they, they'll need to go and have another difficult conversation about, you know, challenges that they're going through. If they feel, right, if people are meant to f- are made to feel that you get what you get, you know, then why would I be encouraged to go and ask yeah, for help? it's and devaluing, isn't it? Absolutely it is. And, and also people won't reach out for help. In, you know, we've been re- um, looking at this research paper they've done in this space and, you know, when people are made to feel judged and, you know, and their self-worth is judged, you know, they don't reach out for help. So it's really mm. in how, how we run the charity so we can give people their dignity and make sure that it's in a really friendly, non-judgmental space really guides the way we do it because we don't want our attitudes to be a barrier to people coming to get help mm-hmm. from us. So how, how do you do that? How do you facilitate the help-seeking request in a respectful, kind way that, that uplifts dignity? Great question. And, you know, I, I'd be the first to put up my hand and say, we're still figuring it out. And, you know, I think this is a continuous journey for us to, you know, engage in. But, the, you know, that being the objective at, and the forefront of our mind. But one of the things we do from, I guess, a process perspective is that we allow that request and that reach out to be done 
you know, in in privacy and confidentiality and, you know, and at the client recipients, you know, time when they when they feel comfortable. So, you know, referrals are either coming in through agencies where they've had that chat with the partner agency, the star healths of the world, et cetera. And, you know, they're saying, look, you know, there's a food security gap. Let's get in touch with CK and they'll put them in touch with us or people are reaching out on their own accord. But the process will then be is that we'll have an initial chat with them over the phone and however they feel most comfortable, where it's it's not checks and balances that we're looking to put in place to say, well, you know, let's see your financial records. And, you know, so there are, you know, key metrics that allow us to establish that, yes, this is a client eligible to receive services. But more importantly, I feel we've got the A team that are answering the phones and having those sorts of chats. They're just the most lovely, compassionate people you can find. And they're go to their mode of, of having those conversation is how do you know as Nastalia says it how do i leave this person better than have i found them and if that's the objective of that phone call sure there's some key information that we need to pull and, and have that chat but you know if i could leave this person a bit better than i found them now and and give them that boost that they need and that reassurance you know chances are that you know, not only will this interaction be be a positive one, but you know, like I was saying before, this will give them confidence in that in the help seeking space and allow them to just have confidence in in you know, there's so many resources out there, but you know, the challenge is how do we get them to the people that need them most? And if we could be, you know, a great experience for them, let's let's have it more. So I guess from a structural perspective, we really give people that dignity and that space to have that one to one, you know, interview and chat. But I suppose what goes beyond that is that Every program and service that we've developed and continue to iterate on is really about the specific needs of that unique individual. So not only from a dietary perspective, you know, when somebody will tell us that, you know, they're vegetarian or they've got this particular preference or they need to eat food that's really plain and not spicy or what, you know, our, our catering manager and, and, you know, his team there have 17 different varieties of meals that they'll prepare and each recipient that will put on a meal program, leveraging the, the, the goods of technology out there, will have a very specific order based on how we did that initial intake and understand their unique needs to be. And that will come on a repeating you know, cycle of, it's typically a weekly food distribution of some sort. And there'll be main sides, soups, desserts, a real wholesome you know, day's worth or a couple of days worth of food, depending on that particular individual's needs. But it's a very tailored service in that space. And that's, and that's in the fresh meal space, another program we run that we're particularly proud of. With, you know, we'd love to be able to share this our PRR learnings with it more broadly across charities in Australia is in our pantry program. And that is that we're finding more and more, particularly with the cost of living going up, clients needing help just to get enough you know, ingredients in the home to cook those meals. They're quite happy to cook their own, in fact, you know, they'll feel better for it. And it's much better if we're able to provide them with those ingredients and allow them that confidence yeah. um, to be able to cook it on their own. But that's a really expensive way to support someone. Yeah, yeah. And and with it, what we do is we've, you know, effectively designed this, you know, online e-com. So we might go to Coles Online or to Woolies and, you know, sort of put in our order and, you know, we go and pick it up and it's exactly what we've ordered. We, we use that technology to give every recipient a portal with oh, wow. Yeah. So they'll, yeah, they'll log in, it's got their name up the top. They'll go and select the items, you know, from the privacy of their home, for the comfort of wherever it is they feel most comfortable to, to place that order. And then our volunteers will go pick and pack that order and it'll be waiting with, for them with their name on it saying, you know, um, Jeez, that's, this a, is, that's remarkable. Yeah. 
But all it is, right, is saying, you know, here are the 30, 40 SKUs that we'll carry. And instead of just putting one in each and give it to everyone and say, you know, this ought to help you, we, we, we just, you know, and it, it's just leveraging technology that's already out there. Personalization. Know, and saying, hey, how do, we, how do we give you that dignity by utilizing that? Yep. And, you know, is, is it harder? I think the team will have, you know, yes. headaches, yeah. you know, going through it. But, but it is so worth it. It yep. is so worth it. So, so one thing I was interested by is so how do you measure your own success or effectiveness or progress? Because I think you mentioned the increase in numbers, dramatic. I think it's a huge increase from 250 to 2,000 clients or whatever you were saying before. Obviously, being able to just meet those the needs of those clients is one form of success, but how else do you kind of monitor how it's all going? Uh, well, you know, there's some anecdotes that I'd love to share with you of some feedback because ultimately that's got to be the goal. You know, we, we need to be able to measure ourselves based on what, you know, people are telling us and, and, and how they're being made to feel, not because we sat down in an office one fine day and decided this is a great uh, program to have. But look, I think in the short term, there's some immediate goals that we seek to achieve. And that is, you know, th- this point that I've been harping on about giving people the confidence and the comfort of reaching out for help and being supported in that process and to feel that you know, not only are there resources out there, but there are people that care about them individually and that, you know, will go that extra length to ensure that they individually and personally are being cared for and take, taken care of. And, and if we're able to achieve that and give people that sense of dignity or humanity, then, you know, tick. And, and that doesn't, that can't take that for granted. That won't just happen by itself. You know, effort needs to be put, put into that. And then, you know, talking about the Maslow hierarchy of needs, if we're able to give people the, 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 the confidence that, you know, they've got you know, you know, the shelter side of it isn't, you know, an area that we're, you know, providing in, but, you know, linked into the charities that will help and support. But if we could get that basic fundamental, you know, core level one taken care of and importantly, take the worry away. I think what this recent food bank report is showing and, and, and I think what we know in the industry is that, you know, when people, you know, might get a meal here or get a voucher there or get some support here, but then it's that constant worry of, you know, where's the next one going to come from? And this isn't really interesting, I suppose, you know, Jewish cultural value, you know, that, that, uh, that we've learned that we try to apply here is that, you know, back in the day with, with food charities, they'd make sure not to give somebody one meal, but they'd give two meals. And the reason is because, you know, if it's just one meal, you're satisfied now. If I've got two meals, well, I know that today and tomorrow is taken care of. My worries are a little bit lessened, mm-hmm. right? And, and we try to do that with people, not by giving them two meals, but by giving them the confidence that we'll be there for the duration of their time of need. And if we could lower their anxiety around that space, then that, that's a bit of a medium-term goal that we look to achieve, right? How do we give people the sense that, you know, I know that my, my food needs are going to be taken care of in a very personalized way and in a really reliable way. And then long-term, you know, it really dependent on, on that case and that client and you know, the, the trajectory that they're heading in. For some people, it might be that this was a stopgap. And if we could be there for that time of need and ensure that they've got, you know, that support through the duration, better might look like they no longer need that support. And in many instances, people come back and volunteer for the charity and say, yeah. hey, you've been there. You know, I think that's to be a able to great success. Yeah. Oh, that's the biggest. Having yes. people come Surely back and help us. But importantly, and, you know, we share this all the time, is that that's not always the trajectory for everyone. Yeah. And many people will be in those spaces for a longer period of time and for many indefinitely. And it's, it's you know, being non-judgmental about that, understanding each person, the unique circumstance that they may stay in and provide them with the confidence that, 
you know, whatever your journey looks like, that love and compassion and support will continue to be there throughout the duration of that. And, you know, seeing to it that they're able to, you know, feel that and experience that. And I suppose another success success measure for us also is how do we make ourselves sustainable? Mm. And, you know, as, you know, we see- That's that, your job. <laughs> yeah, that is my job. <laughs> Not a big job at all. You know, how do we make it? We've seen an exponential rise in the demand for our services. So how do we make sure that we can, you know, we can fund that going yeah. forward? And, you know, and that's where, say, what we spoke about before is corporate groups or birthday groups are a huge part of what we do because that helps our funding model. Yep. You know, we rely- you know, on government grants and a lot of communal donations. Mm-hmm. But yes, we need to A little bit sure. on government grants? Lots on communal a donations. Lot. I mean, we're well, very lucky. That was, that was going to be my question. So, I mean, how how can you keep going this way? Because it seems like if there's exponential growth to date and there might be more growth, I mean, it doesn't look like cost of living is getting any better. The same trends that are affecting people might actually be staying the same or getting worse. How will you? How does your funding model work and how will you bridge that gap? So at the moment, we're at about 8% is from government grants. Which is industry standard. Yep. In the yep. space. And then we rely on trust and foundations, and the bulk of it comes from communal grants. So we're very lucky. You know, we've spoken in this podcast a bit about Jewish values, and one of the values, you know, in the Jewish community is a lot of tzedakah, which means charity. So we're very lucky. We've got a very loyal, generous donor base who help sustain us, but you know, we really have to look forward how we're going to be able to manage this increase in growth. So, you know, part of that is more corporate groups, birthday groups coming in. And, you know, yes, it is a big part of, of my job is yeah. looking at how we're going to be able to do that. We because, won't put you on the spot right now. <laughs> no, don't put me on the spot. <laughs> to right. us, the business yes, model planning. Um, yes, but it is a big concern to us because we, you know, we see that it's not getting better at this cost of life, uh, cost of living crisis with, you know, rent increase as well. And yeah. How can we make sure that we can help as many people as possible, you know, and that's really, you know, a, a big success measure for us is being able to, that we never, ever have to turn someone away. Mm. Well, what, um, what level of philanthropy support are you getting from non-Jewish philanthropy? Well, now you're really putting me on this. <laughs> we get quite a bit from local councils. Yep. They are very supportive and they, they give us, we get grants from them. Yep. And... Like a few non-Jewish um, foundations support us, but the bulk of it comes from large Jewish charitable, you know, family foundations. Yeah. But interestingly, you, you're also providing support to non-Jewish people. Absolutely. Yeah. To tell us a bit about that, because that's, um, I think, a really interesting or like, you know, definitely resonant with Jewish values as well is taking care of everyone. So how does that happen? <laughs> An interesting phone call that I overheard a couple of days ago in the office where you know, this individual had called and I could just see the staff member a little bit shaken because they were asking all these questions about, you know, are you a religious organization, you know? And you know, they said, well, why are you asking that? And w- the, the end of that conversation was that this particular individual was gay and he felt that he couldn't approach religious organizations for support because they wouldn't support him and he needed food support. And, you know, obviously our intake manager was incredibly compassionate and supportive of the individual and said, you know, yes, we've got, you know, Jewish ties in this organization, but you are absolutely most welcome to come. And, you know, we've got, you know, some great services and put them onto one of those programs. But, you know, that that's the approach. The approach is that, you know, we're, we're localized in St. Kilda, you know, we're right in there in the community and anyone that reaches out, we offer them support. And, you know, likely because of the personalization that comes to that 
service and, you know, and the variety of choices that come to it, you know, I guess it's quite attractive in that way and, and many will, will reach out for it. You know, it, it, it probably is almost reflective of the funding streams. Uh, we sort of see probably 80% of our funding coming from the Jewish community and 20% outside. And, and that's likely reflective of, of the clients that are coming through yep. that are, are probably on that basis. We don't ask people of their ethnicity or their yep. religious you know, background. That's nice. I feel like everyone thing. with the dog asks you your background, <laughs> your marital status, your gender pronouns. It's nice to just uh, be seen and heard yeah. as a person, isn't and it? I think part of that is kind of built into that you know, approach that we want people to feel, which is, this, you know, we're not profiling you here. Yep. We just want to have friendly interaction. Yeah. No, that's lovely. I want to go back to a point you spoke about earlier about, you know, we have this amazing group of people who work in our intake team. So when people call us, you know, they get some information. But, you know, our team goes broader than that. I'm relatively new to the team. I've been here, only started in March. The culture of sea care, you know, starting with Shlomo, you know, who's been running this for what the last 11, 12, 12 years, is that it's such a caring organization. So it seeps through to every single person who works there. And every day I'm there, I'm touched by people, you know, that they just want to help other people. It, you know, caring, giving people with dignity runs through everyone's blood who works there. So you know, anyone can knock on the door and we will help them. You know, it's pretty special to work in an organisation like that and be surrounded by people who, you know, share the same values, who want to help, you know, want to give people, you know, do everything they do with dignity is pretty special. Oh, it's incredible. Shlomo, what's the, look, I only did um, junior school in a Jewish school and my uh, education is a little bit limited. I've spent some time doing some study, but What's the Jewish principle around looking after everyone and being inclusive and not just because you could very easily just take Jews as the type of organization that Sea Care is. So just wonder if you could tell me a little bit about kind of the, the values or principles involved in sort of being available to anyone who walks in the door. Sure. I think a core Jewish value is that everyone's created in the image of God, if you want to sort of put a religious perspective on it. And, you know, to that end, being caring and compassionate for fellow human beings doesn't come with a criteria to it. It's not for particular people. It's not for people of a particular way of life that look a particular way or act a particular way. You know, it's right across the board. And, you know, I feel if, if that doesn't cut through for such basic things, then, you know, I think it would be compromising on, you know, that core messaging. So it absolutely needs to be there right across the board. Uh, having said that, why are we more you know, have a higher percentage in the Jewish community. You know, like Stacey touched on before, people from the Jewish community, many will come with a religiously informed diet yeah, sure. um, and that, you know, might not be able to be uh, met by some of the broader food charities. So we want to kind of make sure that that's in place and that's a, a feature and that's available and, you know, the overwhelming majority of people that would benefit from that, you know, would be within the Jewish community. But, you know, and and perhaps why that's not one of the questions that's being asked is because, you know, we believe that everyone should have this service. And, you know, whether that's directly through Seacare or if that's, you know, support that we can be offering to other food charities in this space uh, is something that we, you know, continuously do and, and look to do more of. In fact, we, you know, we make some cultural 
you know, kosher dishes that many of our non-Jewish recipients absolutely love. Okay. You just you keep preempting my question. So I was going to say, Uh-oh. do you think you might have some kosher food eating converts in that 20 percent? Do you think <laughs> you're going to have a whole bunch of non-Jews going around to uh, <laughs> Jewish diners and whatnot? What's happening? Actually, yeah, we make a delicious and some chicken soup, and we make a delicious challah. So yes, challah is probably... a sweet bre- uh, bread that we have on Friday nights for the Sabbath, and on Wednesday we have volunteers who come in and they do the dough. Um, and they come and, you know, roll it and we cook it and it smells delicious in mm. our hub on a Thursday. And yes, I think we probably, anyone who eats it is, del- is mm. loves it. Yeah, and I get delicious. told, um, can you bring some more of that Jew bread in? <laughs> and, and, and I mean, that's fine. If you want to call it that, I mean, that, you know, that's what it is. So. You know, delicious, absolutely. Delicious. I can't say that it's one. great for you. Like, yeah, no. like, like, I don't know how healthy it is, but it absolutely makes you feel good. I think and it's. I think it's almost dessert. Like to call it a bread, it can be somewhat misleading, mm-hmm. but but it's delicious and goes well with everything. Yeah. So. And, and yes, you can't not love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's just speak a little bit about the fun that one can have at Seacare as well, because I think you know part of it for me with these sorts of experiences. I must say, when I got invited to to, to do do the making food thing. I don't like cooking at the best of times. I'm terrible at it. But but the opportunity to get together with friends for a good cause and to be part of that kind of assembly line and just have a bit of fun and do it together was really special. So is that something that you focus on engendering at Sea Care as part of your kind of your, your kitchen vibes and whatnot? A hundred percent. Absolutely. And <laughs> I'm not uniquely qualified to contribute in this space. That's where you get a lot of more <laughs> smart people around and but, you know, a hundred percent and, you know, the, the process in which, you know, this, the support needs to be done and, and can be done, it, it really lends itself to being, you know, fun and engaging and supportive. And it's the culture of the team that, that have built that kind of fun vibe and, and environment around it, which is, you know, the, we've got some end results that we need to do. We need to do it really safe. We're undergoing our HACCP certification to ensure that every piece of food that comes out of there, we're able to have some strong traceability around ensuring that it doesn't, you know, God forbid, you know, inadvertently cause somebody harm because they're ingesting that. But, you know, within all of that framework, uh, let's have some fun. Let's have some fun. Yeah. And on a Thursday is, so Thursday is a big day when people come and collect, other volunteers come and collect food to distribute it or recipients come to our hub to collect it. And it is always a high energy fun day to be at the office. We crack out the boombox, turn up the music a little bit. Yeah. We have, you know, special volunteers who just come in on a Thursday to help with the distribution, you know, volunteers you know, stand to distribute the food and a lot of the recipients come and, you know, it's a great way to get a feel for the organisation and the impact that we're having to see the people, to talk to the people. Yeah, it's always just a great day on a Thursday and I'm never there really on a Sunday, but I've heard Sundays are a big day as well. But yeah, so it's a really important part of it is that everyone comes and we can put a smile on people's face and they feel like they belong to something. And that's what, you know, when... In preparation for this podcast, I was downloading some of the feedback that we get from our recipients. And that's what, you know, a lot of the feedback is it's you put a smile on my face, you lift my heart, you make me feel Mm. part of a community. And I think that's really important because loneliness is a really big part of society, unfortunately, at the moment. Mm. And if we can do our bit to help people feel that little bit less lonely, Mm. you know, then I feel like, you know, that's success for us. Yeah. And I think it's fascinating how successful you're being in a time where generosity has really plummeted, I think partially because of cost of living, partially because of other 
strains on families, but you know we know that do- donations have almost halved in the past year or two. People, the rates of volunteering have really declined, but you seem to be going really strong. So I think a lot of the things you talked about today, belonging, connection, social connection, understanding the person and meeting them where they are, mm-hmm. and also respecting and welcoming all people would be really powerful uh, pull factors for you guys. Mm-hmm. It actually was so interesting. We were looking at some of, we thought, you know, so we were trying to get prepared and we were looking at some of the stats of the country of origin of our um, recipients. Yep. And it was actually such an interesting exercise because, you know, we wouldn't do it on a day-to-day basis. But once we actually sat back and looked at it, we were, you know, we thought, you know, majority are Australian and then, you know, the rest are Ukrainian. We have people from Moldova, Mexico, Mauritius, Poland, Indonesia, Saudi Arabia, Morocco, Iraq, South Africa, Israel. So it's a really That's amazing. Big, broad range of people. You've covered a couple of geopolitical tensions <laughs> yeah. just in the list. So. And isn't that amazing? Because, yes. you know, what's going on in the world at the moment and you look at the countries, you know, that some of these people come from are getting food from a Jewish charity. And I feel like that is a win, uh, you know, for society. Absolutely. I mean, social cohesion through food, what could be better? Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> especially through Jewish because, you know, I'm not sure if your audience are aware of this, but Jews love their food. Oh, yes, and yeah. eating is a big part of our culture. Come anywhere near St Kilda, often referred to as the bagel belt, yeah. and you'll, you'll find that out. So it's yeah. been wonderful having you today. How can we connect with you? How can our listeners connect with you, learn a little bit more about your work and the wonderful things you're doing, and get a bit more involved? Well, we would love some more. If anyone wants to volunteer, so they can go through our website, which is seekhare.org.au. And maybe, Mike, in the show, I don't know if you have show notes, you can put Absolutely. a link in yep. and via Instagram as well. And we'd love if there's any corporate groups that want to come and volunteer, any volunteers that want to come on a regular or irregular basis, we'd love to have them. And, you know, if anyone wants to come on a tour of see what we do. Let's put, let's also put the call out for supporters. If anyone, anyone wants to get behind the mission that you've got and support your wonderful work, let's... Uh, put the call out to any wonderful people who are in a position to do so um, to get behind Seacare. Please reach out to Stacey or myself directly, details on the website. Do you want to give an email for either of you? Yeah. Uh, Maybe I'll give that to you. You can put in the show notes and then people can get in touch with me. And we'd love to have, you know, if it's people who can give, you know, know, there's, you know, the four T's of philanthropy, but, you know, if people have time or treasure they can give to us, we'd be so grateful because, you know, as we discussed, you know, the need for our service is getting greater and greater and, you know, we need to be able to fund that so we can support more people mm-hmm. and make people feel. And I think just, to the point that you, sorry, no, um, you, that you raised earlier, you know, every day we walk into work and we are so conscious of the fact that this is an absolute privilege and a mission that we've been entrusted in by the community, you know, th- th- looking at, you know, having and more than 90% of funds that are coming from trust and foundations and communities saying that, you know, they've entrusted us with this. We've gone to university on their dollar, effectively learning how this is done and, and how to, you know, administer this. And, you know, having that, I suppose, humility to say, well, we've been entrusted to do this. You know, how do we make sure we're doing it 100% right each day, every day is something that we constantly keep at the at forefront of mind and yeah, very much invite, you know, the broader community to participate and to and to get behind that mission and, you know, easy email, Stacy at Seacare and Shlomo at Seacare.org.au. And important yeah. to know you don't have to be Jewish to volunteer or be involved. hundred percent correct. We've we've got a beautiful, you know, group of volunteers and donors from a very wide cross sector of the community and we're better because of that. So what a perfect end. Thanks so much for being with me today. 
Thanks for having us, Thank Mike. You. And hope to ha- see you back in the kitchen Absolutely. soon. Absolutely. <laughs> no one is ever chopping said that before. <laughs> it's an open that. invitation yeah. anytime. Yeah. We'd love yeah. to see yeah. you back. I just hope you can't trace any of the food that I made at that party back to <laughs> anyone for any incidents, but thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player and why not share it with a friend or two? If you want more from your Humans of Purpose experience, become a Humans of Purpose member today through our new platform, Supercast. All you need to do is hit the link in our show notes. If you have a message to share with our audience about your brand, products, or services, we have a wide variety of paid promotional packages available. Please get in touch by hitting the link in our show notes.